This is DMOU, Destination Marketing Organization University, the DMO Sectors Podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Geist. DMOU is where you hear the best and the brightest in the destination marketing space, sharing innovative and compelling stories to inspire you to take your destination and organization to the next level. The format for our conversations on DMOU is elegantly simple. It's three questions and a bonus round. And today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Searchwide Global, the premier executive search firm in the DMO space. Mike Gamble and his team uncover the talent out there that isn't looking, meaning that clients get a far richer candidate base from which to choose than just placing ads in publications and online. And their client satisfaction rate across multiple metrics is 98%. If you're a candidate or if you're a board looking for that perfect candidate, just call them. You can learn more at searchwideglobal.com. And now on to our show. Ricky Thigpen joined Visit Jackson in 1987 as the manager of information systems. And for the past 32 years, Ricky has served in multiple management positions, rising to executive vice president, where he was responsible for governmental and community engagement, stakeholder relationships, signature event management, and new and untraditional market initiatives. Just over a year ago, the Visit Jackson board elevated Ricky to the post of president and CEO. He is a member of numerous professional organizations, including Destinations International, where he serves as a member of the Diversity and Inclusion Committee, Mississippi Tourism Association Board of Directors, and the Mississippi Tourism PAC, where he serves as chairman. Ricky is also engaged civically in organizations too numerous to name. He's a native of Jackson, and he holds a bachelor's degree in computer science from Mississippi Valley State University and a master's degree in leadership from Belhaven University. Additionally, Ricky has earned professional certifications from the University of Southern Mississippi, the Mississippi Tourism Association, and Destinations International. He's appeared in Black Meetings and Tourism Magazine as one of the most influential African-Americans in the tourism industry multiple times. And just last year, Ricky was named Mississippi Tourism Association Member of the Year, lauding his work to transform his DMO into what it is today. Ricky's life mission is to be a lifelong learner who is dedicated to imparting knowledge, uplifting, and empowering those he is so fortunate to influence. Ricky Thigpen, welcome to DMOU. Thank you, Bill. It's an honor to be here. Well, we are fortunate to have you. And, you know, as our nation and indeed the world has taken to the streets during the first few weeks in June to demand social change and how people of color are treated, from policing to socioeconomic opportunity, a number of DMOs issued statements and posted messages of support on their websites. And while many were inspirational, None connected with me like your op-ed piece last Friday in the Northside Sun, and I'm going to quote a few passages from it. In it, you said, as an African-American man that has the responsibility of leading Visit Jackson and has dedicated his entire professional career to an industry where I am in practically every professional setting, always the minority, I understand the challenges of being Black in America. I work with Caucasians that have, during this challenging time, chosen to turn a blind eye, hoping and waiting for all of this to go away. However, others have approached me with concerns and have been honest and bold enough to say, I am sorry, I want to understand your experience, and I want to help transform our culture. No matter what side you are on, you said, all of us must do better. Powerful words. Yeah, thank you. So count me in on the latter camp, which is why we ask you to be our guest on this edition of DMOU, and count me in as one that was surprised and yet you will probably tell me that I shouldn't have been. When I posted the manifesto that you and 18 other black DMO executives released earlier this week on my blog yesterday, which is also repurposed on Facebook and on LinkedIn, and I got a total on three platforms of seven likes. And yet, 
Over 2,000 people were on the U.S. travel webinar yesterday, moderated by Destination DC's Elliot Ferguson. Ricky, I get 50 likes for fart jokes, and I get seven when I repurpose that manifesto, and that may just say it all. Now, it also may have been because in the post, I challenged DMOs to diversify their boards and staffs, and a like might be perceived as an admission of guilt. I get that. But what it says to me is that white people still don't know how to react when they are told they need to do better and that they must be part of the solution. So many are afraid of the uncomfortable conversations with a black man, which if you haven't seen the Emmanuel Acho videos on YouTube, you absolutely must. So here I am about to have an uncomfortable conversation with a black man because I know I haven't done all that I could. So question number one, Ricky, as we look at the DMO space, we've made progress. I mean, there are African-American CEOs and other faces of color in the C-suite. It's better. What have we done right? And more importantly, how can DMOs speed diversity, equity, and inclusion, which we all want and need to see? Well, Bill, that's a great question. And I think that uh, there is no easy answer. And I'll first start off my comments by saying that uh, none of us have done everything we could have done. People of color, me as a black man, there are times that I was quiet and should have spoken up. There are times that uh, DMOs should have potentially been more aggressive and even the uh, industry organizations. But none of that is really important right now. It, these hard conversations that we're finally having, that's the most important thing. And I think that we're starting to move in the right direction. And it's kind of almost a perfect storm understanding the advocacy piece that we're talking about now and really engaging communities. But we've got to engage all aspects of the community, not just the part of the community that really makes us feel comfortable. Because as we engage our communities, we are accountable to those communities. Just a couple months ago, uh, you and I talked at the uh, Destination International's Advocacy Summit, and we talked about these tourism lexicons. Yeah. So that sets us up. Right. We did not know then, but it sets us up for what's going on right now. We're talking about simplifying our missions, inspiring our communities, engaging untraditional tourism partners. And that's exactly what we have an opportunity to do now. One of my favorite sayings, I've got a plaque on my wall that says, leaders don't force people to follow. They invite them on a journey. Yeah. So we've got to get out there and not only share our DMO stories, but we also have got to share our human stories and why it's important to work together and how it's okay to make a mistake, but we've got to go back and fix it and acknowledge that the mistake was made. And I think that that is one of the largest opportunities, one of the greatest opportunities for us to heal humanity and our nation, especially dealing with race. In the blog post uh, that I just referenced, where I said, it starts with us, the change we want to see in our communities and in our country, it has to start with those of us that are in positions to make changes. Emmanuel, I think he was on one of the morning talk shows, and he essentially was calling out Roger Goodell of the NFL saying, talk is cheap. Roger took a step, said we were wrong, but is that enough? And the answer, of course, is no. What's next? And we will watch the NFL to see what, if anything, changes. But from a DMO perspective, this has to start with us, and it has to start with our boards. I was actually doing a strategic plan in it with the community uh, before uh, COVID-19 hit. And I remember the moment that the conversation swung to board composition. 
And I kind of looked around the room and arched my eyebrow and one of the board members picked up on it. And he says, you know, he goes, if we're going to do this, we have to diversify the board first. And he goes, and we've got to make sure that the staff is diverse and people will see what we have done in the community. And we will be that shining light that they can say, well, they did it. So, you know, it's okay for us to do it. How would you suggest that DMO boards and staffs address this issue? Well, I think that diversifying a staff and diversifying a board is great. It sounds really good, but what really makes sense is understanding the value of diversity. When you have people in the room that have different babes, different values and assumptions and experience and behaviors, then you bring a talent pool that makes the organization, the destination more economically sound. You have an opportunity to reach more organizations, more groups, more conventions, more group tours, more consumer travelers, larger media outlets that look different from the people who traditionally sit in the room. So I was the IT guy, basically, way back in the late 80s mm-hmm. when I came to visit Jackson. And I also uh, went to uh, school on a band scholarship. My dad was a band director, so I was a big drum corps international geek. Were you really? I, yes, I still am. Did you ever perform here in Madison? I never performed in Madison, but I've been there. Okay. I've traveled all over the country. In fact, about the early 90s, we hosted Drum Corps International in Jackson, Mississippi. I remember watching that on TV, and it poured. Yeah. It poured that night. It poured. <laughs> God. It poured up until the, the top, like, five, and then it stopped. It had not rained all week. In fact, right before TV time, we had to actually paint the field green because it was so dry, it died. It was just brown. Oh, wow. So I was the IT guy, but I got a chance to be the sales guy. Because nobody at Visit Jackson had a clue what Drunk Court International was. Mm-hmm. I would go to the shows every summer. And I came back and I said, we need to bring this to Jackson. They were like, nobody would come see marching bands. But that's an example of diversity. Because nobody there had any clue what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. And they started looking at videos. And my sales director traveled to a show with me. And we worked our butts off. And we got Drum Corps International to Jackson, Mississippi. And that's just an example of diversity. Now, that's not race diversity, but that's culture diversity. But again, that's just the benefit of having somebody in the room with a different experience, a different outlook, brings an opportunity to your city, to your CVB. You know, from a board perspective, I saw a study uh, the other day that said that the average American nonprofit association that 77% of the board members are referred by existing board members. And so if the existing board members are all white and men, they're probably going to continue to refer from their network, from their reality, from that's, that's where they live, right? And so I was thinking about this and I thought they may have identified two, three, four black leaders, but if they see them as black leaders in the community, chances are, those individuals are getting asked to be on every single board that is trying to increase diversity. And I almost thought, and I'd love your thoughts on this, I have a feeling that what we really should do is identify the person that we would really want, the most influential person out there. Call them and say, we don't want you. Who would you suggest? Who in your network that you hang with do you think is an up-and-comer 
and could really be a value add to the work that we do here. Because as much as you want the most influential person in the room, that person is probably being pulled in 500 different directions. Thoughts on that as a strategy to break into, and not just ethnicity, but gender, age, handicapped, sexual orientation, any of them. Find the one person in that group that everybody knows and say, who would you pick? What do you think? I think that's it. We tend to recycle the culture, the race, the institutions of higher learning, the fraternities and sororities, families, closest acquaintances, and I'm from the South, so, you know, church affiliation. We recycle that same community over and over again. It starts to make the walls move in and you start limiting that diversity. In the same family, same university, same church, you probably have the same viewpoint. They go back to the whole values again and the whole babes concept. So you really haven't expanded mm-hmm. upon anything except you've got people who maybe look a little different. We have a joke in Mississippi, uh, diversity sometimes is what color Mercedes you drive. Uh, <laughs> so we've got to do a much better job of going outside of those normal comfort communities and going into areas. And, and that may be an opportunity to call that leader that significant minority leader and saying, hey, can you recommend somebody or going to colleges and universities and HBCUs? I mean, we're very blessed in Jacksonville, five colleges and universities just in in the metro area. And so that's kind of uncommon, but it's an awesome opportunity for us to identify talent. Uh, Think about internships and mentoring opportunities and all those things. One of the most uh, inspiring opportunities for us this year, just in the, as an example, to identify a different population. The Jackson Public School District invited me to participate in their job shadowing day. So I took four kids. We have uh, these academic concentrated divisions in the school system. So we had one that was a tourism student, one that was a business student, one that was a medical student, and one that was like a very dedicated accounting uh, focus. And they spent a whole day at the CBB. And uh, I had a meeting at the Equine Center. Uh, we do a, a fair amount of horse business. We've got some national and some regional horse shows. And so I took all four kids to that meeting with me. And while they couldn't go into the meeting, they sat out in the arena and they watched Cutting Horse. These were four black kids who had probably never been in the Equine Center. And they got a chance to watch Cutting. One kid was just like, I had to literally drag him out. But the the director of the show came and explained the sport. Now, besides exposing them to that, they've got one kid that, you know, got name and phone number and email address, but he wants to stay connected to the sport. That's how you build. And who knows? Who knows what's going to happen with that kid? And in fact, the director of the show, who happened to be an older white man, said to me, he said, Ricky, I would love to bring some inner city youth to our shows every time we come. I'll give you as many tickets as you can take because I would love to fill the stands. It's another opportunity to expose these kids to a sport, to a culture that they wouldn't have otherwise ever been exposed to. Mm-hmm. That's how you build. That's how you grow. And I'm excited about what the results of that could be, even in that small area of just equine. People don't have to necessarily be predisposed or engaged to tourism, 
to understand and value economic impact. They just need to understand that they love their community. They want to see their community grow. And who knows what will come out of that? You know, you've segued beautifully into the second question, and that is by talking about students and, you know, historically black colleges and looking at the youth as they make their decisions about where they're going to begin their careers. We have both heard the excuse that the bullpen of black DMO leaders is thin. And that's why we don't see more African-Americans in the C-suite. Now, if this is true, how do we address it? And if it's not true, how do we write this wrong? Well, I don't think that's true. I think that we're just not capitalizing on the gold mine that we have right in our hands. Uh, you mentioned that I was uh, I serve on Destination International's Diversity and Inclusion Committee. And we see African-American young professionals coming to the industry. And they're two to about four years, and then they're out of here because there really is no growth opportunity. So while they may come in as a graphic designer or an accountant or even a salesperson, I don't think we do enough to really encourage their career growth, their career path, taking them to industry meetings, exposing them to industry professionals. We can't just tell them to sit at their desk for eight hours a day take a lunch break and sit at the desk again. They've got to see the benefit. You know, millennials think a lot differently than my generation does. So we've got to work. We've got to put in some work. It's got to be very intentional. If we don't put the work in, we're probably going to just continue to get the same results we've always got. That's really the definition of insanity, right? So we've got to do something different. When you have amazing talent, you've got to work to keep it. And that means we've got to do something that we've not done before. We've got to um, engage them. I told you I've got five colleges and universities in Jackson, and two of them are historically black colleges and universities. I'm a speaker every year at one of the institutions, but it happens to be one of the schools that's not an HBCU. So I've got to make an intentional opportunity to expose the importance of tourism and careers associated with tourism at those institutions. In fact, we had some discussions. I just finished a strategic planning process myself, and we talked about how we expose tourism to our community and and the DMO and being valuable to communities. Well, we got to start doing that at about the third grade. We got to go into those schools and make them understand a couple of things that can come out of that. First of all, they, they get some sense of the value of the dollar and growth, but also they start to build pride in their destination. And when a fourth and fifth grader goes home and talks about something, mom and dad typically listen because they won't stop talking about it. (laughs) So we've got a built-in marketing department right in the public school systems, in the private school systems. So sometimes we, we have things right at our fingertips. We just don't pull the trigger to uh, get all that we can out of it. we got to just cast a wider net at all of our colleges and universities, at the, at the uh, middle schools and at the elementary schools, career days. And I know that sometimes that seems to get in the way of our mission, but, you know, advocacy builds and supports our mission. It's sustainability for the industry. And if we're going to be around here and if we're going to be valuable to our communities, to our stakeholders, to taxpayers, they better understand tourism. And we better start early getting in on the ground floor so that we won't be fighting 
uh, because those third and the fifth and college students one day are going to be the elected officials. And how amazing would it be for them to go into the state house or to the, the mayor's office or city council seats or county commissioner understanding the value of tourism? And then you have right in the pipeline, board members, employees, uh, consultants, but also restaurateurs and hoteliers and museum ticket takers and event, special event ticket takers and, and special event organizers. That is now a very defined part of the DMO's role to help build not only the community, but to support the workforce of the industry. I love that you're playing the long game. And I absolutely agree. In fact, a number of years ago, back when Ren Bowman was with the Durham, North Carolina CBB, uh, he created a very similar program where I think that the kids in fourth grade, seventh grade, and I think junior year in high school would spend you know five days a year out on field trips at the ballpark, the restaurant, the hotel. And of course, in third grade, they're in the public spaces. They're just seeing different places that they normally don't go. And by the time you got to junior year, you were back in the house. And just like your, the kids that, that were into cutting and, and were fascinated by it, what junior, unless they've got a serious attitude problem, isn't going to be fascinated by back of the house? I mean, you and I are still fascinated by back of the house, right? Sure. So I love the long game. What can we do in the short term, though? What you're saying is we get these kids and get a mindset of the power of tourism and the, and the amazing opportunities in hospitality. But we're talking a decade, and I don't think we've got a decade. How do we address this to get more people of color into the C-suite in the next three years? I'll give you an example. I have got an amazing graphic designer. She's got a bachelor's degree and a master's degree in graphic design. She's been with us right at a year. She has an amazing personality. And during our strategic planning process, it became clear to me that although she's doing amazing work that supports marketing and sales, she's not really connecting the dots with how her amazing work translates to the customer. Because she doesn't get a chance to see that because she's just in her office designing. Mm-hmm. You know, she's cranking out brochures and billboards and social media. What happens if I send her and take her to a trade show? What happens if I expose her to the legislative process? What happens when I take her on a couple of sales calls? I am now taking an employee and creating a tourism professional. And she may just, just maybe get bit by the bug that I got bit with and want to stay in this tourism space. And when there are opportunities for growth, I'm not going to stifle her because she's so good at what she does. I'm not going to stifle that. I want to expose her to some new stuff and watch her grow in this industry, at this DMO specifically. Right. Can't let her go. Right, because there was a time that you no know, CEOs came from a, a particular space, either sales or marketing. I'm the IT guy, you know, 32 <laughs> years ago. That's and right. now I'm, I'm, in, I'm in the CEO seat. That's really a weird you know, career path. 
uh, when I interviewed for the job, I had no idea what tourism was. Right. But I knew Fortran and COBOL and Assembler and Pascal. And that's what they needed because we had a System 36 back then. That was free PCs. That is so funny. But wow. I'm still here now because I fell in love with how did technology and integrating with people marry. That was my sweet spot. Mm-hmm. And we've got to do more of that. And yes, it does take time and it does take effort. But nothing that's valuable is going to be easy. And so we have to, if you go, if you see staff that has an opportunity as a leader, and leadership does matter. And if I can't leave this place after I get out of the seat much better than I found it, I have failed. I have failed. If I let an amazing talent pool leave and I don't try to do everything in my power to try to encourage them and grow them within this industry, I have failed. I'm not fulfilling all of my responsibilities. So I think that we all have to kind of face that and um, not just burn them internal. We got to nurture, encourage, expose. And for millennials, their biggest thing is they just want to be valued. Great points. So third question. In our pre-podcast conversation, you said something that really stood out to me. Your city of Jackson is 81% African-American. And you told me your staff is 50-50. And you said you always are on the lookout for marketing produced by a 50-50 staff that may be perceived as too black. And I was just so stunned when you said that because I rarely hear white marketers express concern that their work product is too white. And we see an awful lot of that. So how do we inspire all marketers, regardless of the color of their skin, to see the ad or video through a more critical eye? It's part of leadership. I'm very fortunate. I've got some amazing staff. My vice president of marketing happens to be a Caucasian man. And he won't bring to me, he will not bring to me an ad that is not diverse, that does not look like the community in which we represent. He just will not. And in fact, a lot of times when he and I have discussion, again, I have to put my eye on it and I'll say, eh, it's, it's it needs more white people in the ad. Because when an ad is filled with all Caucasian people, that's just normal in this mm-hmm. space, specifically yeah. in this space. Sadly. It's normal. And it's, it is sad. And, and then we don't understand why people of color don't come to our destinations at a higher rate because they don't see themselves in that space. I will go a step further. This year, for the first time, we hosted travel writers and we brought in a gay married family, two men and their two children. And I will admit, I was terrified of what the um, social media is immediate. The first couple tweets and, and Facebook posts said, are you crazy? What are you doing in Jackson, Mississippi, in the South? Mm-hmm. The next 7,000 posts were look like you're having a wonderful time. The airport is so easy to get through. Man, the kids are having a beautiful time at the at the museum. They're experiencing all this southern fried food that they haven't ever experienced before. Right. It was all positive things. We have images now in our marketing materials that represent not only a racially balanced community, 
but there are gay people now for the first time in our airspaces. And again, we're, we're in the middle of the Bible Belt. But the reality of it is, that's, again, that's another aspect of diversity. And if, if we're going to tell the true story, we need to show the true story. And I think that that becomes, again, uh, the responsibility of uh, advertising agencies, and, uh, but ultimately the DMO. And if you've got an ad agency or uh, a consultant you're work, working with that doesn't bring that to you, you need to sever that relationship and find somebody that's more honest. Because it's not the honesty and the good stuff is like medicine. A lot of it doesn't taste real good, but it's really good for you. Yeah. So we have right. to really position ourselves to be vulnerable enough to have those experiences because somebody said if it only when you're vulnerable yeah. is when you grow. Mm-hmm. And so we want to grow. I don't play basketball well at all. I'm a black man. I'm six foot three. Uh, and I don't play basketball very well, but I like to play. And I'm really good at shooting free throws with my left hand. And if I were trying to pr- improve, which I'm really not at this point in my life, but if I if I went to the gym and just did nothing but shoot free throws with my left hand, I wouldn't grow. I've got to start using my right hand, which the first 25 times I'm going to shoot with my right hand, I'm not even going to come close to the goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if I keep on doing it, if I keep on doing it, if I keep on practicing, if I get, I'm going to get better. I'm going to start hitting the net. I'm going to start hitting some baskets. That's how we grow. So we got to put ourselves in some uncomfortable spaces and then we can experience some, some success. Great analogy. All right, Ricky, it's time for your bonus round question. All right. So some DMO industry job searches require a bachelor's degree. We get that. Some require a master's degree. I've never seen a job application or a job industry search that required a PhD for consideration. And yet, if one did, you will qualify in just a couple of weeks. What in the world inspired you to become one of the only PhDs in destination marketing? So this represents about year 32 at Visit Jackson. And I had, uh, prior to being president CEO, I was executive vice president, had a great opportunity to really be, to lead our advocacy and and government relations and untraditional tourism products. But I felt two and a half years ago, I felt that I had probably done all I could do in this space. And at 52 years old, I felt I had some more to give. I had some more to learn. And, um, I got a couple a couple phone calls about doing some consulting, and I did them, and I really enjoyed it. And I, then I got a couple more phone calls, and I decided that if I was going to do that, that may be a really cool kind of post-DMO world space to live in. It is. But if I was going to do it, I wanted to be really, really good at it. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to get paid really well. So... Um, I fell in love with the with the discipline of leadership when I got my, my master's degree. And so my PhD will be in uh, organizational leadership. I will tell you, you tell God your plan, he'll laugh at them. So every ounce of the coursework that I have experienced over the last three and a half years, I've been able to use after being asked to serve as an interim and then ultimately as president CEO. So it was a setup 
It was a setup. Mm-hmm. I have committed to do a little uh, online teaching at one of the colleges and universities here in a, in a year or so. But uh, that's how I got into the PhD space. And uh, again, I think that I was just getting set up to be prepared for this amazing opportunity here at Visit Jackson to sit in the in the president's seat. You know, it's funny. I was the CEO here in Madison, uh, and I decided to uh, do the weekend MBA program. And everybody looked at me and said, what the hell are you doing? We, you, you know, you're, you're running a successful operation. You don't need an MBA. And I said, no. I said, I think the MBA would make me lead a better organization, right? And, you know, very similar. It, it, I knew I could do more. And honestly, to your point, it has helped immensely uh, in the consulting work that we do. Because I'm not looking at it simply from a DMO perspective. I'm looking at it from a much broader business perspective and organizational design and excellence was part of the MBA program. So yeah, I, uh, good on you, uh, for, uh, for going down that path. That's, uh, that's fascinating. Congratulations. Well, thank you. And, and, and not to beat a dead horse, but those college and university contacts that I now have are potential clients to bring more conferences and meetings because now, you know, again, this it's in the South is all about relationships. Yeah. So I'm now sitting on, college and university committees and, and, and subcommittees. And when they get ready to bring a conference or a meeting or go to a conference and meeting, I now bring those 300 folk to Jackson for four days. Uh, so I love the you know, way your it, mind it, works. It all goes <laughs> That's great. Hey, Ricky, thank you so much for being a friend over the years. We have loved watching your climb to the top at Visit Jackson. And uh, thank you for today for helping us all better understand what we need to do next. It is a long road ahead that we need to go down as quickly as we possibly can, but as mindfully as we can. This is not checking off boxes. This is true transformational change. And if we can keep these conversations going and these lines of communication going, call me the ever optimist, but I think we can get there. So thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity. And if we keep on having these kinds of conversations, we will get there. All right. Thanks, my friend. That's it for this edition of DMOU. Tell your friends and peers this is where the best and the brightest get together to tell inspiring stories for DMO pros. And thanks again to our sponsor, Searchwide Global, the premier executive search firm in the DMO space. Mike Gamble and his team uncover the talent out there that isn't looking, meaning the clients get a far richer candidate base from which to choose than just placing ads in publications and online. If you want more, you can find them at searchwideglobal.com. DMOPros.com is where you'll find more on our service to the DMO world, plus links to the Z News, our knowledge bank, videos, blogs, and the biggest DMO job board on the planet, as well as links to earlier episodes of DMOU. That's DMOPros with a Z.com. Executive producer of DMOU is Terry White, and this is a production of DMO Pros. I'm your host, Bill Geist. Until next time.